0: message is entitled, Sent. Um, I'm going to read John 9, 1 through 5 fairly rapidly because we talked about them more in-depth, these verses, in the past few weeks, and I don't want to get uh, bogged down. and uh, I don't want get, to uh, get moved away from where I'm supposed to be uh-huh. going because of things that we've already touched. So I'm just going to rapidly move through these first five verses. In John 9... Uh, The chapter opens by saying this, that now as Jesus passed by, he saw uh, a man who was blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, obviously because he was looking at him, they asked him, saying, Rabbi, our teacher, who sinned? Was it uh, this man or his parents that he would be born like this, blind? And they revealed their paradigm, how they understood the world, and it was common in their day and in their place. To think that there had to be something connected to this bad thing. That's why it happened. And so there was a superstitious component to their perspective. And Jesus corrected it. But didn't go much further than that. He shifted it by saying this. He said, Jesus answered. He said, neither this man nor his parents have sinned. You're actually asking the wrong question. But he says, but that's not my point here to have a discussion about this theologically. He says, actually, I want you to think of this moment. The reason I stopped here and what this moment is all about is this is a moment for God's glory and goodness to be displayed before your eyes. And there's something I want to do here. And it says that Jesus then went on to declare, verse 4, we read it, he makes a statement about his own purpose and he said i must work the works of him who sent me notice while it is day because the night is coming when no one can work and so jesus drops into a metaphor doesn't he he refers to day as his time on this earth in ministry and he's suggesting that we will that there is not an he's not going to have a day without an ending there's a time to do the works of him who sent me. And then Jesus says, and by the way, as long as I am in this world, I am the light of this world. So um, we have been, for, since the opening of the year, looking at these verses. And we've been talking about work. And if you will recall, the first thing that we started with, the first message that we shared in the opening week, end of the year had to do with the work, but we said we want to talk about the work that God wants to do in us. What is the work that God wants to do in us? What things does he want to open up us to? What areas have we been being crippled by that God, or held back by, that God wants to to have us move finally, move on from? Uh, What internal work does the Lord want us to focus on this year? That's why I said no matter what else is going on in this year, this is a year of opportunity, and maybe sometimes when adversity is at its strongest, or when things uh, are kind of making us feel more insecure, maybe it's at those places in our lives that we're more likely to ask the real, true, important questions and begin to seek God in a way that we might not have done, or at least not with the same degree of fervor and intention that as it w- as we're doing now, because we we're. We feel more motivated to do it. And so this can be, and I didn't just say it because it's a nice phrase. I said it because I believe it, that this may be a year of wonderful opportunity for deepening ourselves at the core things that truly matter. Our walk with God, we talked about loving God and loving others and how these are the greatest things we can do in this life. That's what Jesus taught us. To love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And to love our neighbor, our key relationships as ourselves, people. And he said this this matters to God. What we accumulate doesn't matter. Probably what we give away matters more. How we love the people around us well, keep our commitments how we exercise courage, how we commit ourselves to continuing to be open to the development. And that led us into that second week's question, which is not just what is the work he wants to do in us, but the reason that's an important question is because it ties into the next question, which is what is the work he would have for us to do? And those two are interrelated. The work he has to do in us is always connected to the work he would have us to do, that he wants us to be able to be difference makers in our circle of life that people, the where we work, um, that this Christian life was not simply to be lived only in a private place, but that it was to show up in our homes. It was to show up in our friendships. It was to show up in our uh, working relationships that we talked about. And that's why, and if you notice, there's another portion of Scripture. That's why Jesus said in Matthew 5, he said, you are the light of the world. Look at this. Think about it. Now, in John, right, he says, in John 9, he says, I am the light of the world. And then he says, but this opportunity as it is now, with me being present here in a physical way, will come to an end. But in reality, his presence, his day, his time of opportunity has not ended because he says, you are the light of the world. I shine through you. My day lives through you because I I will come to you by my spirit and I will fill your life. And then look what he says. He says, you are the light of the world. The city that is set upon a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket. No, a light is designed not to be hidden. The whole purpose of a light is to illuminate in the darkness. He says, you put it on a lampstand. The idea being, it creates um, a a way of seeing that wouldn't have been there otherwise. He says, it's designed to chase out the darkness. You put a light on a lampstand, and he says, not under a basket. And it gives light to all who are in the house. And then Jesus took it even further, and he says, so let your light so shine. And I, I can't help but think Jesus said it like this. Look at me. Look at me. Live like this. Remember we talked about it's not just believing the right things. And you, you, you have to study his Word to believe the right things, or else every way is as good as another. And we're left wandering with some collection of ideas, many of which will lead us in completely wrong directions away from God. It's not about a collage of collecting spiritual ideas, it's about investigating for ourselves what Jesus actually said. That's why we talk about one of the goals this year for some of us would be just to have a small time of consistent reading of our Bible. And that is a big, for some of us, that would be a very tangible, significant, serious goal. It's amazing. Anyway, coming back to what I was saying, though, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good work. Let your light shine out so that other people would be touched by the reality of God working in your life that would cause them in turn to say there is something real about God and this Jesus thing, that they may glorify your Father which is in heaven. That the goodness of our life would affect the circles of our life and cause people to be drawn towards the Lord, not because we're perfect, certainly that will never be the case, but because there is an essential sincerity and integrity and wholeness and growingness to who we are with God, that we're seeking to really try to live out. Remember we talked about, it's not just about believing the right things, it's about living it out, but then it... How can you live it if you don't know it? It's, it sort of goes hand in hand. It's like, how do we know if we're living right if we don't have the right perspective? So we, it requires us to engage it at a little bit below the surface level. Let your light shine, Jesus said. Think about that. The, everything about this passage is about light. Now, when Jesus stopped and made that explanation... He then did something else, and we see it in verses 6 and 7 here. And look what he says. It says that when he had said these things, he spat on the ground, and he made clay with the saliva. And he anointed the eyes of the blind man with that clay. And he, then he said to him, go, wash in this pool, in the pool of Siloam. Um, the pool, the na- Siloam means, we're told, scent. Scent. Interesting, that's, this origi- that's the meaning of the word if you translated it out. He sent him to scent. I send you to the pool called Sent. I sent you there. I send you there. And it says that the blind man, he went and he washed. And he came back seeing. Now, I want us to stop there for a moment. Jesus makes his statements. I, am the light. I have only so much time to do the works of him who sent me. It is that While it is day, before the night comes, I am the light of the world as long as I'm in this world. Jesus stops that. He says that to his disciples. And then he turns. And I have to imagine that he turns to the, the blind man who is there, who's at the gate. And he, he says to him, he says, he doesn't say, look at me, I don't think. But he said, maybe he says, turn, turn to me. Listen to me. Let me touch you. And it says he spits on the ground, right? He pulls up some dirt. And he's, we're told he's, there's no water. He spits on it. And he mixes it. And he gets a little more. He spits more. He's making, he's making clay. He says, I want you to look at me. Let me do this. Close your eyes. What are you doing? Just, just let me do it. Now listen to me. I don't want you to wash this off. I want you to walk. You get to the pool of Siloam, and only when you get, to, then I want you, when you get there, I want you to take the water, and I want you to, to bend down. I want you to wash the clay off of your eyes with that water. And the implication is we're not told specifically that Jesus says this. We're not told that Jesus actually ever says, if you do this, you will see. But it's certainly implied. Do you understand what I just said? Don't wash it off your eyes. You get to the pool of Siloam. Go and wash now. Now, it's interesting because Siloam, you know, but you know what? You, we can act, if you want to, like some of us just got back from Israel. Uh, we had a, a group of us went to Israel together to look at the Bible land and it's gotten pretty intense in the region since then. But we went, one of the things we were able to see was you can see the, actually the remnants of the Pool of Siloam. You can still, they have uncovered a significant portion of it, or at least a small portion of it. A lot of it's still covered up. But you know what? The Pool of Siloam was a, one of the remarkable, uh, it, was a, it was the end point of one of the remarkable engineering feats of the ancient world. Uh, King Hezekiah. I'll just give you a quick quick idea of where Jesus sent him. King Hezekiah um, was concerned that he was the city was about to be sieged, besieged. And the water supply was outside the city walls in the, the, the Gihon Spring. This sometimes called the Virgin Spring. But it was vulnerable. If an enemy came and was sieging the city, they could cut off the water supply. So what they did was they covered up the water they covered it up, and then they dug through rock a tunnel. Uh, it was like a third of a mile. It was an amazing feat. You can you can see it today, still. You can walk, the fact they'll let you walk through it, which is pretty cool. Two feet by around six feet at some places. If you have claustrophobia, don't don't do it. But it's <laughs> it's pretty. It's actually something else. If, if it was a straight distance, it would be about a thousand feet, but it's not. So it cur- but it curves around. Where it empties out is the pool of Siloam. Hezekiah's tunnel en- ends up emptying out in the pool, and that's p- part of what you can see today. In Jesus' day. The place that he sent the blind man would have looked something different. It would have looked like a, a larger place that everyone would have been aware of. It was a landmark, one of the landmarks of the city. This is where Jesus sends him. So it's very fascinating to be aware of it. Now, I have, as I've looked at this passage and I've thought about it, um, I want to suggest that there are a couple of things that I'm hoping we can glean from this and apply to our lives. So, here they are and at the very least it spoke to me therefore I share it from my own heart as it were and I believe these are genuine things that we might be able to consider about what we just read I want to suggest that there are some aspects of healing from the Lord that will only come or if they, they will they will always be connected to our personal obedience that if we insist on doing things our own way we will not receive the breakthrough that we desire but that if we are open to listening to the Lord and responding appropriately that we will have new things open up to us that would not have opened up before. There will be new ways of seeing. For example, I was, if you look at it you think about this for a moment. What does he say? What was the command? The command was go and wash. Go and wash. Where? Go and wash in the pool of Siloam. Now he, the onus was on him, right? It, was, it wasn't like, um, you know, it was something he, he simply had to just believe. He had to go do something. There was something that required something from him. He had to decide. First, I'm letting this guy put clay on my eyes. Secondly, to go make a walk that's not going to be... You see, he had to decide. The onus was on him. And he could not see, but he could hear And the Bible is very clear. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. He did not push back. He didn't say, well, why why can't you just heal me now right here? Why do I have to go walk to this pool of Siloam? Don't toy with me. The command, think about it, was simple. Go wash, right? The command was personal. You do it can I just send somebody in my place? No. You must go. No, not a family member, not a friend. You. You go. You go. It reminded me that at the end of the day, this following Jesus and life with God is a personal thing. No one, no matter how much they love us, can do it for us. We must do it. I was having a conversation with my my children, and we have these talks every now and then, they're more haphazard than actually organized. Uh, but I, we were talking about what success looks like, what is most meaningful to us, what it means, what would make me personally the most happy. And I said, you know what? If you truly decide to follow the Lord, and anything else, it doesn't matter. Not that I don't want you to achieve things, get your degree, I understand all all that. Follow Jesus. Now here's the thing, I can't do that for you. You have to decide. You can grow up around it, but you're going to have to decide yourself. And I pray with all of my heart that whatever else you do in this life, that the one thing you do that will truly matter is to love God and to follow him all the days of your life. If you do this, that is enough. That doesn't mean that everything doesn't matter. But he said, I can't do that for you. We can't do that for anybody else. Everyone has to make their own choice, ultimately, if they're going to receive the Lord, if we're going to if we're going to listen to the voice of the Lord for our life, we have to decide, you know, command, go and wash, not somebody else in your place. It's your call. It's your choice. We all have the power. Ultimately, we are responsible. We are responsible. It is our choice. This is our day. This is our time. This is our opportunity. This is the art that we've been given to use for the glory of God. It is our life. I don't know how long it's going to last. None of us do. We don't know the length of our day. But we do know this. We've been given a work to do for God today. And this is the time to respond. Now, and it's a personal choice. The command is simple, but it's a personal choice. We can't make it for somebody else, and somebody else can't make it for us. I can pray I can believe, I can love, I can encourage, I can hope, but I can't make the choice. I can only make it for me. And so it is, always, with every one of us. We can affect things. May God give us grace to affect people's lives for the good and not turn them away from the Lord. But at the end of the day, it's still about our choice. It's a per- Listen, you go and wash. It's like... Um, I was reading an old preacher, Charles Spurgeon, because he's saying how the command was specific. You go and wa- You go and wash in w- where? Can I just go? In the pool of Siloam. That, and then he went on to say this: He says, The pool of Siloam will not come to you. You must go to it. The waters will not leap out of their bed and wash your eyes, but you must stoop to them. And wash in the pool until the clay is gone and you see. The, the idea. Oh, and by the way, you can't just do it anytime. You've got to do it now. The time is now. There is a time when the word of the Lord comes to us, and the time to respond is now. Well, not tomorrow. Tomorrow, not next. Now! That, the power, that now is the time. This is the time. We decide. We choose. We, if, you, if you're going to do it, you've got to do it now. Now. Not tomorrow. Not next week. Now. And there are some things this year, I believe, that God is going to lay at our feet and he's going to say, there is a healing, but it's in now. Respond to me now. Go with me now. Make the change now. Listen to my voice now. Now, here. Now, in this moment. And 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 that is something that when the, when the Lord says it, we get the, we, we really at that point we have to decide. Am I gonna turn that deaf ear or am going to respond? Secondly, and this is a this is just something that caught my attention, so i just share it with you because I see in this whole incident the foolishness of the cross. I really do. And you say, well, what are you talking about?" Ah, you know what? I was reflecting on the spit and the soil, the saliva and the sand, the, what they used to call the spittle when he mixed it together, the master placed on his eyes and how... That was the way that he was going to have his healing. And we all, and I thought, yeah, there, was, there is a sense we all must submit to the indignity of the spittle. There's something about the cross that is like, well, why does it have to be that way? Why did God choose that? I mean, come on. Isn't it kind of undignified? Why all this talk about this Jesus on the cross thing? Can it be that simple? Is it un- See, it's like, it's like um, I will, by like Paul, the apostle, interestingly enough, he, who is this amazing intellectual man, highly educated, very refined, sitting at the seat of the most exquisite teachers of his day, he, and, and not just well-learned, but extraordinarily brilliant in his mind, in his thinking process, highly organized, capable deep thinker, and yet he ended up having his world rocked by the simplicity of Jesus. To the point where when he comes around, he starts talking about the Lord in the circles of his world. And when he gets to places he finds that people are offended by that message, as he was. What are you talking about, the way to God through this cross, this Jesus, this dead Nazarene? And he starts saying, Listen, and then you read his writing, he says, though he says the preaching of the cross, he says, is he says it's foolishness to the Greeks and he says and to my own countrymen my Jewish brethren he says it's it's a stumbling block he says but to those who believe it is the power of God unto salvation and he starts to talk about how this message of Christ crucified for us is that think about it it's a simple way it's a narrow way it requires us to stoop and submit to something that is somewhat undignified. And yet it is the way of the Lord. Can it be that? Think about it. I mean, I come across, it's amazing. You know, I read, I read stuff. I get exposed to a lot of different things. I'm always interested in what people are writing about Jesus. So I look at things. And I listen to things. People talk about them. And I go, okay, you know, a lot of times, no one wants to talk about the simplicity of the message because ah, it's got to be more complicated. It's got to be more mysterious, more esoteric. It's got to have some other thing going on, be underneath it. There's got to be like seven Jesuses somewhere or a secret code that will tell us things. And it's like the simplicity of the cross is offensive. It, Can it be that simple? I am the way, the truth, and the life. If you will come after me, you will live. Seek for yourself, not some secret mystery. It's simple, it's true. It can keep the greatest intellects um, uh, connecting deeply with thoughts. It can take us as deep as we want to go, but at its core, it is a simple message. It's a simple outreach of of the love of God. That if we honor it, it will change everything. Ah, thank goodness that that same one who said to the blind man, let me put this this spit and mud on your eye. It's the method I'm choosing in this moment is the same one who later, there would be another spit dribbling out of his mouth, and he would be hanging on a cross between two thieves, fully identified with the worst of the human experience, and his mouth would be dry, and he would say, I thirst. And you know what? He did for us with parched lip, Beaten, bloodied, and bruised, he gave everything he could give. The cross is foolishness, but is a way of life to those who will receive it. Lastly, thirdly, and here's one that I think I hope will encourage us some of us, like this blind man, will be called to make a difficult walk this year. And that's okay, because there's life and healing there. It's not an easy walk. Why do I have to do it? Like I said, just heal me now. No. So i got to walk. And a lot of times when we're trying to walk and we can't see, and I don't know where I'm going. I'm, I kind of know where I'm going, but, I, but I'm going. It's a difficult walk to make when we can't see what's around the bend or how we're going to get there. We've got to trust God And it doesn't look that great. Why am I doing this? There's something about going the way of the Lord that will cut against the grain of our will at times. And when it does, we have an opportunity to grow and to really know God. It's not always an easy walk. I'll tell you, I thank the Lord because sometimes it requires the opposite of what we would have chosen on our own self. It's not always the way we would have chosen. But then again, Jesus didn't go the way that he would have chose either. If we remember, in the garden, it wasn't like, oh, I can't wait for the cross. It was, Father, if it be possible, take this cup from me, because it's so much more than just physical suffering. If it be possible, let me leave this moment. I want to go the opposite way, not that way. But Jesus said, but nevertheless, not my will. Yours be done. Give me courage. And he walks into the cross. And you know what? There are times where God calls us to go the opposite way into that thing which we're afraid of and to make that difficult walk. But what I found is that in that place comes healing. You think about it in Jesus, when he did it, what do we get from it? A stream of life flows from Calvary. It is the gift of God. We live because he died and rose again. You know what? That is a promise that comes from someone's willingness to go the opposite way. We get the blessing because he walks not the way he wanted, but the way he was called. You and I, some of us, are being called to be courageous and to walk into things that we would otherwise run away from. And God is saying, listen to me. Life will flow when you don't simply go with the pack or with what the culture is telling us. You go the opposite way. You follow me. Listen to my voice. For some of us, it may mean stopping some things we've been doing. And how do we do that? We've got to bring other people into our life. For others of us, it may mean reigniting things, starting to do something that we haven't been doing. I don't know what the Lord is saying. I know he works in my life that way. And he's saying, will you walk with me? But I don't want it the opposite way. Now that is the song we're closing with. But it's not just a song to me. There's a, listen, there's a part in this song where it hits us square. For me, it is the part that talks about Jesus. And I'll tell you how I experience it. There are times where the Lord calls me, us to do something we don't want to do, maybe. Or to be faithful in an area we'd rather not be faithful in. Or to do good work when it would be a lot easier to do shoddy work. Or do it, but half-hearted, or to have a bad attitude, or to let that attitude sit with us. And God's saying, "I don't want that attitude in you. Get out of get that out of there." He's saying, "Listen to me." Or the Lord is saying, "Don't go that way, you go that way, but I don't want to go that. I'll go that way. The opposite way. It takes courage. Lord, I pray that as we bring this time to this moment of closure, that we hear as this song, becomes the exclamation point for what we have shared. I I pray that it would not just be something we dabbled with and then we walk on and forget. I, I pray, Lord, that you would challenge some of us, Lord, to dig our heels in more deeply that we would not succumb to the restlessness that leads to the recklessness that brings the disasters, Lord, that affects so many people, but rather you would give us the courage, Lord, to walk the opposite way into the place that you're calling us, Lord. Now, sometimes that's the way we were going anyway, but a lot of times it is not the way we were going. We are fighting to go your way. I pray, Lord, that you would speak to us. I also ask that you'd bless our time of giving. I do. And I pray, Lord, first off, thank thank you for those of us who have the ability to give and to honor you and your kingdom's work here in this city and in this church, Lord. But I also pray blessing and provision over everyone, Lord, especially those who are hurting right now. I do pray. I pray for provision of the Lord. And we look forward to breakthrough as well. But right now, Lord, our eyes are on you in a different way. We are listening for your voice. Give us courage. This I pray in Jesus' name. Amen, Lord. Amen. Amen.